Welcome to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your All Star host, Heather Berlin. I'm a neuroscientist and professor of psychiatry at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai here in New York. And my co host today, new to our show, is Ari Schaefer. Yeah, Shafir. Shafir. Okay, sorry. <laughs> We're Schaefer for a little while. <laughs> Shafir. Ari Shafir. He's a producer and host of Skeptic Tank podcast. Hold on. Producer, you just have to press record. On a, <laughs> that's, that's a little off tape, but I'll take it. You can tell he is a comedian and a regular on the Joe Rogan experience. And he also has a new Netflix special called Double Negative. So thanks for joining us. Ari. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And tonight we take your cosmic queries about thinking skeptically. And to help us out with that, I brought on two very special guests and friends, Cara Santa Maria and Dr. Stephen Novella, co-authors of the new book, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And they also host the popular podcast by the same name. Cara is a science communicator and journalist and host of Talk Nerdy to Me. And Steve Novella is a clinical neurologist and assistant professor of Yale at Yale University. So thanks for helping us out today, Cara and Steve. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Heather. Hey, so I think it's time we're going to go straight to our cosmic query. So Ari, do you have some questions for us? Yeah, we got a bunch of questions from people. Okay. All different walks of life. Let's let's go. Okay. Uh, B. DiCaprio. I don't think that's her Christian name. Uh, <laughs> hey there, Bethany from Syracuse. Oh, yeah, that's probably their name. <laughs> Bethany from Syracuse. I'm a big fan of both podcasts, so this is like an epic crossover episode for me. How can you explain to someone that being a skeptic does not mean being negative, closed-minded, or contrarian? Oh, good question. <laughs> mm, yeah. So, I mean, it's, they're two completely different things. Um, and it's unfortunate the word skeptic, which you basically got all that baggage that people yeah. think it means contrarian or. You mean cynic. Cynic. Yeah. Yeah. I won't believe you. Yeah. yeah, right. Just that you just generically don't believe things. But that's not what it, it's not about that. It's actually about what can we know? You know, it is t completely positive. It's like, but knowing stuff means understanding things like logic and how the human brain works. Right. And a little bit of philosophy and some scientific methods, because there are a lot of answers out there and some are better than others. We just want the good ones. You know, the well, better, so you what, know. what other name would you use then? To I don't know. Tried it, right. Like, because you remember, there's all these like weird movements. There's a lot of crossover between skepticism and atheism. They're not the same thing. There are plenty of non-atheist skeptics and plenty of um, non-skeptical atheists. Non atheists. Um, a lot of crossover, but, but they're not the same thing. Yeah, exactly. But there have been attempts over the years to be like the bright. Right. So, so embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. And. What is um rights? What is a bright? I mean, it's like a humanist, like an enlightened humanist, oh, yeah. or something like that. Rights. Oh, rights. Yeah. Right. Right. Over yourself. So, what's everyone else then? The dims. I, I mean, it was just right? like an instant failure. You know? just, what about like scientists? I feel like scientists. There are some non-skeptical scientists out there. I mean, you're right. True. The scientific method is yeah. kind of a core, you know, the, tenet. Yeah. The problem is that what we do is we well, I call it scientific skepticism, which yeah. actually was a term popularized by Carl Sagan. I don't think he originated it, but he really popularized it. Because there's two components there. It's not just science. It's science and critical thinking and how they interact and how they work together. Because if you just have science, it's not enough. You can't promote you know, um, what, we, you know, what we do just with scientific literacy. People are still going to believe nonsense. They won't reject the nonsense just because they like science. They have to also understand critical thinking. So what's that? That's scientific skepticism. Yeah. What's a cooler, sexier word for it? I'll give you a hundred bucks if you could tell me right now what that is because <laughs> we're stuck with kind of this branding that it really is what we are and, and is older than what we've, you know, the modern skeptical movement now is like 50 years old and philosophical skepticism is centuries old. Right. It's got this 
modern baggage that we didn't want or ask for, but we're kind of stuck with it. So your option is come up with a better word. No one's been able to do that. Or just do your best to rehabilitate your brand, you know, which yeah. is what we're trying yeah. to do. You see the same thing with atheists, right? Yeah. Like there's so much baggage on the term. I still yeah. use it because I'm proud of it. And I kind of want to see it be rebranded the same way I do with my podcast, Talk Nerdy. Like nerd used to be a bad word. And now everybody who's a nerd is like kind of cool again. Yeah. Hard work um, changed it. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> what? You're gorgeous and rich? <laughs> like, what do you mean? How is that a nerd? I don't get it. But that's the thing. I think it's cultural can appropriation. We can yeah. do it though with with skepticism. We can do it with atheism. We just have to, I don't know, be model citizens. Yeah. I always said skepticism was like they're like you think everything's wrong. I'm like, no, I, I just want to check your math. Yeah, right. That's all. Yeah. It, yeah. it might be right. I just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah. be like a logistician or something. Logician. 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 Yeah, but that's that's like already taken, a thing. It's taken yeah, by the, taken. the philosophy. Yeah, that is already philosophy. a thing. Yeah, right. brand brand new word. All right, this one comes from Patreon. Ari Moody. I don't know how to pronounce a lot of these. Hello. Why do you think some people are so prone to believe in conspiracies? And how do you deal with conspiracy theorists? Yeah, that's a good one. So I think everyone is at least a little prone to conspiracy theories. Mm, it's they're fun. Yeah, they're fun. They speak to us in a very profound way. I think we all engage in conspiracy thinking to some degree. It's a continuum. It's not like this binary, you're a conspiracy theorist or you're not. And, well, for and some people it is. Some people it is, but, but there's, a, there's a continuum. And what the evidence shows is that most people are opportunistic conspiracy theorists, we'll, meaning that we'll engage in conspiracy think, thinking when it serves our purposes. Like, for example, it, goes, it supports our political ideology, right? So a lot of people who thought like 9-11 was an inside job, that's because they were they didn't like Bush or right. right for example they wanted to plant it on Bush where it was like they never did yeah. the math on like how was it Bush doing it and not just somebody right right <laughs> or if you think that um, that vaccines are a bad idea it's because you have a certain political ideology or yeah, like in global warming you're then you're on the other side right but then there are people who are all-purpose conspiracy theorists they're just about the conspiracy oh yeah yeah they're not they don't care what size they they believe in all conspiracies either side of the political spectrum it's ghosts and aliens and I'm yeah. like those are those aren't overlappers yeah <laughs> it's because of this like this like distrust of authority and this really want or need to be kind of counterculture and against mm -hmm. the mainstream. I recently filmed a, um, a short series for, I think it's for American Experience, we'll see, or Independent Lens. It's probably going to air on PBS, but we're still waiting on it, all about why people believe in conspiracy theories. And, you know, we talked a lot in it about this idea of prudent... Um, paranoia and how that there are certain aspects of historical culture, especially like ethnic minorities or individuals who have been disenfranchised by a sort of quote unquote machine where they have good reason yeah. to be concerned. You know, a little paranoid good. That's exactly. adaptive. So yeah. like it, it's that crossover between prudent paranoia when it becomes full blown conspiratorial thinking that it becomes really problematic. Yeah. And a lot of that really comes from a deep distrust of the man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which then how, how many people does it have to be to be a conspiracy? I think two. two. You're right. Two. If you have two people legally. Like if everyone's like teaming up. Does well, that's it, what a lot of people think about religion. Yeah. Right, is it that's a global conspiracy. Well, there, there, there was a good paper a few years ago where, where um, the author calculated like how long would it take for a conspiracy to collapse in on itself, basically to be exposed by inside, you know, from the inside. Yeah, based on people just talking. And yeah. And as conspiracies get bigger and bigger, the, t the time frame of probably being exposed gets shorter and shorter. So like for the really big conspiracies like 9-11 or whatever, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, months to a couple of years at the most before it would it almost statistically should collapse. Or like the ones where it's like 
an alien like Roswell, but then we're sharing info yeah. with North Korea. Yeah. And like, that's like days. Yeah. Like, it's like, like there's worldwide. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> it's like, right. what you think? Never get, nobody tell their wife. I know. Right. Like, like, somehow we figured out like this global diplomacy on only that thing. Right. Mm-hmm. We can't agree on anything else, but let's not tell people about the aliens. So they always say about the AIDS cure. It's like, you know, doctors, they have it, but it's, yeah. they make money off, you know, uh, AIDS drugs. I'm like, but not all doctors make money off AIDS drugs. Right. I think just one would be like, I'll be super rich. Yeah. I just give out the cure. Right. Exactly. But, you know, we chat like with patients, we look at the strength of the belief that they have, like even with patients with um, like OCD or something, when they really believe it and they're harder to treat the more they have conviction about yeah. the belief so i always look at people like you know how rational are they in terms because i mean you c- it's it is a, you can be a little paranoid and that yeah. might be healthy totally but like healthy. what would it take for you to break your belief and like with some people who are clinical at that point no matter how much evidence you put in front of their right. face they just have such conviction in this belief yeah. that it doesn't matter you know that's the difference between between believing in conspiracies and being a conspiracy theorist right or if you want to put it in clinical right. terms you know, like they get somebody gets delusional paranoid delusion is that um, it's okay to be a little paranoid, but you have to check your beliefs against external reality in some way. But the real hardcore conspiracy theorist is a totally self-contained belief system. Yeah. And there's no way to uh, externally refute it. So they're completely locked in. Because any evidence is part of the conspiracy one right. way or the other. So that's it. You're locked in. And also there is that line, right? I think a lot of times when we talk about this, we're talking about like neurotypical individuals, like people who believe in conspiracy theories who aren't also dealing with schizophrenia or who aren't also dealing with delusional disorders because that's a whole other conversation. Oh, exactly. But even healthy people without like clinical, you know, diagnosis, they're still like, um, it's a dimension, right? Absolutely. In terms of like conviction of belief. So you don't have to be like diagnosed as schizophrenic, but Mm -hmm. some people, and there's actually, there's been some imaging studies which look at people's brains who have these like firm set beliefs and they're way harder to break than, you know, more open-minded people, let's say. What type of person's into it? I remember after some show once, in maybe San Diego, somebody was like, are you into like 9-11 truth stuff? And I was like, no, I'm not interested at all in it. Am I into it? Like yeah. that's and like then, my yeah, hobby. Yeah. <laughs> but then the guy just went into a diatribe and I'm like, I just said I'm not interested <laughs> at all. They can't stop talking about whatever their stupid thing is. It definitely becomes an obsession. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just got offered a TV gig. Like my agent reached out to me and was like, hey, there's this gig for this like alien show. Like, is it something you'd be into? And I was like, first of all, no, but why don't you learn a little more? Because it was like already greenlit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, give us a little more on it. If, if I'm a debunking, maybe. And then it came back and it was like, this is not for a debunker. And we have new evidence. And if you want to sign an NDA, <laughs> we can tell you about it. And I'm like... Hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not going to tell you about my ancient alien um, experience. experience <laughs> but, um, they're like, no, we just want you to talk about the science. I'm like, I talk about the science. Okay, great. Like, here's the science. And then like, I see the and final, it's like cut, cut. Like, cut. And like, I'm like, this is the actual science, which was great. They actually do a good job on that like segment. Mm-hmm. And then the next segment is like, and then it was the aliens that did it. And I'm like, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> and the show is so popular. Everyone's like, Oh, I saw you on ancient aliens. Oh, no. Like, oh, no. <laughs> but I didn't, I was true to the science. I didn't know what they were going to like cut to. Anyway, do you have another question? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is a good one. Um, will nerd from Instagram. Yeah. Ha- why do people decide they're going to just use these names? I like Will Nerd. I'm not I'm going with it. It's N3RD also. Yeah, it's because Will, a nerd with an E was taken, yeah, obviously. Sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, are there ways that you recommend to get more people to think skeptically to combat tribalism and cognitive dissonance? Yes, buy our book, read it, absorb it, <laughs> share it. 
<laughs> review it. Yes. So that's I think, to the universe. Seriously, that's, that's exactly why we wrote the book. I mean, and that, it's and why it, we do the podcast. Why we do the podcast. I think to get people to start thinking that yeah, way. We, yeah, we just want to model skeptical, critical thinking and do it in a fun, entertaining way. Right. First of all, the show. This is not just like stuffy old professors. You know, this is like just real people in everyday life. We make decisions all the time that requires lots of evidence and critical thinking. You know, as we say in the book, pretty much everyone's lying to you all the time. That's just sort of the baseline of human interactions. Everyone's just basing things on their own narratives, which are based on other things that people told to them, most of it, which is sketchy. Um, but the good news is there's there are methods that you can use to like sort out what's probably true and probably real, you know? So like, are there, are there easy go-tos that you can use a lot? There's some. I mean, some things are, are quick and easy and some things require work. Or nuance. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, like about how to read the news, for example, or to know how to find good sources mm-hmm. or checking yourself, like checking your own cognitive biases, your own confirmation bias. Like, I think that there are things that the more you practice them, the easier they yeah. get. I remember for a while when news was just only a few sources and then it started going like yeah, exploding. explosion. Then you were like, what's this story? And you just look up and see if you recognize that title of that publication at all. Yeah, yeah like that's a good first, like yeah. low hanging. Yeah. yeah, yeah, what's the what's the source and then what's the primary source? That's the thing most people don't realize. Unless you go back to the primary source, you're taking somebody else's word for what the news actually is. And you'll find that when you take that extra step, it's most often not accurate. Like what's being reported is not really what the primary source was saying, especially with, with science news. It's like it's almost never as accurately representing what the actual study was. I always go to like the original paper. Yeah, as yeah. much as but you we're can. we're lucky because we know how to can. read the original paper, right? right? Because we have a lot of academic training and it's hard for a lot of people to do that who haven't learned how to do that. But I mean, that's why there are still journalists who stick to a traditional newsroom model where they need multiple sources before they're willing to confirm something and write about it, right? That's very different when you read a New York Times article about something than you read a BuzzFeed article about something. And that's not to denigrate BuzzFeed. Like BuzzFeed actually, BuzzFeed actually has done some really good reporting, but they don't claim to be, to have the type of journalism. It's it's like that game of uh, telephone, right? You know, you have like the original source. Like I once like did an interview for like Washington Post, right? And that, you know, was fine. And they spoke to me directly and they fact-checked whatever. And then like there was like 10 other like offshoots from that Washington Post piece, Mm -hmm. you know, citing me and then picked it up and wrote a version. And then they're like, and then it changes over time, just like the game of telephone. I mean, there's actually a new, people are trying to work on this AI system that actually tags articles with Mm. like how trusted of a resource it is. And it goes back and looks at the person who wrote it and looks at the, you know, the journal or whatever. Yeah. What I wish more people would do is in there, there's only a handful of these like wire services for science that actually give the link or the DOI for when they don't give the link. They're like in a study and then you click the link where it says this study, but it doesn't link back to the study right. it links back yeah. to something else on their site their to promote site, yeah. another article and you're like mm-hmm. most people only read headlines too that's <laughs> so true. and then you read the article from the headline you're like that doesn't even back up what the headline said i love it when we post an article that we wrote or someone else wrote for example to our facebook page yeah and then people make these like really angry and sometimes long comments and clearly they just read the headline. Yeah. I mean, they're saying things that are contradicted in the article itself, even in the blurb under the headline. Like they won't even read the blurb. <laughs> go that far. Well, if you read the actual article, you realize that you're completely full of shit. Or, oh, but yeah. you know, that's just too much work for a lot but of the people. The problem too is that like coming back from when I was actually working more in journo, I remember I was at HuffPost, we launched a science page. And the quintessential example of this is I wrote a piece about when the Higgs boson was first um, identified and uh, 
you know, and I did this whole section in it about how like scientists don't like that people call it the God particle because it's actually shortening of the goddamn particle because it was really hard to find. That's why they called it <laughs> the goddamn what? particle. Really? Yeah. yeah. And so, but it got tur- kind of bastardized into the God particle. And so I was like, so I will never call it that blah, blah, blah in this article. And then of course, what people don't realize is that the journalist doesn't write the headlines. The editors yeah. usually do. Yeah. Yeah. And so my article was called God Particle Found. And like it had a whole paragraph about how I'd never, ever called the yeah. God Particle. It's like they're just really disconnected for the journalists. So a lot of times they're going to attach something to it that makes people want to click. And they're also trying to, they're trying to trigger people's emotions. Absolutely. Like emotional reaction. They might read it. Exactly. And that's what engages people. But then that immediately engages their like biases or cognitive yeah. biases. That's why I like like the kind of stuff you're doing is like teaching people to not trust, like to break their right. own cognitive biases. Because there is, I mean, we're, our brains are creating our reality all the time. Like yeah. we can't help it. Yeah. They're not necessarily, they're just based on like what's being fed in. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to take a step back and not even trust your own initial like gut reaction is something you need to get trained people. To yeah, just so taking sure. that step, like thinking about thinking, right. Just yeah. taking the moment to say, how do I know if this is really real? That's the, you're already a league above just the everyday, most people on an everyday basis. Most people don't think about their thought process or how we know what we know. And Metacognition. If yeah, if you're doing that, you're halfway there. And then, then the rest is a lifelong journey, right? One thing I'll do is socially when someone is telling a story about somebody and was like, I don't know, like I was at a bar and this guy just starts screaming at me out of nowhere. And the first reaction is like, that's crazy. And then every time you hear that's crazy, Go, oh, I don't have all the details. Yeah. Because yeah. people aren't just generally right. just crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Like, oh, you butted in front of that guy or, or right. did something to we him. You never have all the boyfriend. Like, you left stuff right. out. Always. Yeah. It's, it's like always like their version of the story for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 Just like when people are complaining about their spouse or whatever, you're like, you don't know what's really going on yeah. in that situation. Like, you hear the one side. They're leaving out like, details on yeah. purpose. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. always yeah. making We say it's like, imagine judging a case based on just the prosecution. That's basically what you're doing. Yeah. I just walked up to someone and started stabbing him out of nowhere. <laughs> what was he doing in Afghanistan? <laughs> and it's like, oh, there's a war going on. It's like, oh, oh, you left that part out. Okay. Context. It's yeah. important. It's important. Well, on that note, uh, we have to wrap up this part of the show, but we'll be right back with more of your cosmic queries. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your host, Heather Berlin, and co-hosting today is comedian Ari Shafir. And joining us as our expert guests, we have Cara Santa Maria and Dr. Steve Novella. Thanks for okay. being here, guys. So uh, we took your questions about skepticism, and we're going to continue on with those. So what do you have for us? Ari? Okay. Sheldon Novak from Facebook says, I doubt you'd read my questions. <laughs> so you had to read that one, right? Yeah. It's just all he said, right? Yeah. It's like, that's, like everyone, everyone has that joke, like that everyone tells them, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and everyone thinks they're the first person to think of that joke for us. That's it. That's the hack. Yeah. That's the hack. Skeptical. That's the, I doubt or I'm skeptical. Oh, of yeah, you guys. I doubt it. Like buy our new book. It's out on October 2nd. I doubt it. Like oh, I'm skeptical of that. Okay. <laughs> I love those things in every industry. Yeah. Every industry has that. Yeah. And right. When you make one of those jokes and it immediately hits you like, Oh, you've heard that a thousand times. Before, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I thought I was the first one to think. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> we all had that even growing up, right? Like everybody called me Nina Pinta Santa Maria oh, or God. Cara Santa Claus. And I was like, whoa, I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I have one like name that was called that I'll never forget. This is a shout out to this guy, Adam, in my elementary school. Like, <laughs> before I had developed my, you know, 
Womanly figure. Womanly figure. He called me the Berlin Wall. And I'll never (laughs) forget it to this day. (laughs) Pretty clever, actually. (laughs) No, it is pretty good, though. But I'll show him. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) 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 Moving on. (laughs) Uh, Nathaniel Gobble on Instagram writes, I was thinking, I was, excuse me, I was talking to this homeless guy. (laughs) It's already great. Uh, And he claimed not to believe in most science because he had never seen it for himself. Mm-hmm. So when do we just have to take the experts' words on things, and when do we actually have to test it for ourselves? Hmm. Almost all the time, right? So unless really busy, unless also. you're doing research yourself, you are taking someone else's word for everything, yeah. right? For, for how much knowledge is out there, even scientists take each other's words for it. Although they do replicate the research and you know look at the raw data and et cetera, check the math. That's all you could do. But you can't be looking over every researcher's shoulder, making sure that they're doing what they're actually saying that they're doing. They get it peer reviewed. Yeah. Yeah, you get a peer-reviewed. Peers, you, you, because yeah, they study yeah, the same thing. Okay, it's been peer-reviewed. I'll trust it. Like, nobody in this room has ever done a climate model. Right. You, don't know, you know how to model the Earth's climate? you have any idea? It would take you years to, to even know if the, what they're doing is reasonable. Mm-hmm. And so you have no choice. The best you could do is say, okay, is there a consensus of legitimate experts? So how do I tell if someone's a legitimate expert? How do I tell what their opinion is? And what is the consensus of opinions of those people that I should trust? That's what a layperson should be endeavoring to do. So have we had people have over history have we had things that are have been consensus have been completely proven wrong? Well yeah the science is changing all the time, right? If science science didn't change, who said that? I think it was O'Brien, it would stop, right? Because the whole point of science is to change what we think we know now or refine it. Usually once we get to a certain point, like things get so well established, like we're not gonna figure out tomorrow that the world is a cube or that DNA isn't the molecule of inheritance or that evolution didn't happen. It's not gonna happen. But we can use gravitational waves as a new way to look at space now. And we could never do that before because we didn't have the right tools. And so like we get more information, we get more subtle or deeper information. When things do change and we have these big paradigm shifts, it's because some sort of new technology emerged that allowed us to look at the world in a way we never had access to before. Or you find a new fossil, like, oh, there's this new branch over here we didn't know about. That's true. Things are changing all the time, yeah. Yeah, where they're like, red meat is good, you have to eat red meat. And then it's like, nutritionists sure, stay away from red meat. But see, that is difficult. See, that's... Mm-hmm. But what's happening there is there's this more conservative, slowly evolving story that researchers are figuring out. But the press is giving you the the uh, hyperbolic headline that's flinging from one side to the other. It's going to kill you. It's going to live forever. It's going to kill you. But in, in reality, the research is much more conservative. And they're just saying, oh, look, there's this one study which shows a correlation between eating a pound of meat a day and having an increased you know, morbidity. <laughs> the thing, you know, the thing the is, bacon one was in The way the pound of bacon a day. It's like, yeah, of course you're going to die early. You're going to a pound of bacon a day, you know. But the headline is, meat will kill you, you know, just... Right. Don't oh, buy. Don't buy that. We're in the headlines recently, uh, you know, with Trump, it's like, oh, a little radiation is good for you. Like it's yeah, like, you yeah. know. This, but the thing is, I think there's always doubt in even with science, right? There's always like we're like writing a paper and it's like, okay, it's ninety five percent certainty, but there's that five percent, and people mm-hmm. sometimes like to latch on to that, and then that's where they throw in all their other theories. Is like, well, you know, who knows? It's not true, but it's the best method we have yeah. right now, like of to look at the evidence and try to you know understand it, and it's always being modified. And but I think a lot of people who want to who have these firmly held beliefs and want to continue to believe them will always try to find the hold in the science like yeah. the hole in the science like climate change or whatever like oh there's that one percent who yeah. right 
And there's, yeah, there's error bars on everything. And that's yeah. the other thing that you should try to figure out is what are the error bars, you know? Are they huge or narrow? It's important, though, like, coming back to the specific question, the guy that he was talking to was saying, I, I haven't seen it with my own eyes. I haven't touched it with my own hand, so I don't know if I should believe it. Why should I have to trust this authority figure? Like, yes, we do have to trust people who have dedicated their lives to being really good at this one thing. Like, that's important. We have to do that all the time. We have to get our shoes yeah. fixed by people who know how to fix shoes and get our teeth cleaned by people who know how to clean teeth. But at the same time, I think there's room and there's a necessity for whether it's young kids or even as an adult doing some of this stuff with your own hands so you can see a microcosm of it. Yeah. Like actively right. engaging in a science experiment, even if it's a demonstration at home or, you know, doing this stuff with your kids so that you can see how some of these things do translate. You can manipulate a variable and see the outcome. Because I think once you've done it with your own hands and you've seen the result, it opens up why it is that you're believing right. these experts and you can make that connection better. Love, by the way, with flat earthers, we were discussing the other day, we were talking about it, like they're fucking crazy. And then it was like, I, by the way, have no, no idea yeah. if the earth is flat around. I, I don't even know the terms to use. Right. Like, like I, I'm just taking people's word for it. Was it. Also, it was such mm. a gimme. Like we've known this for so long that it's become such a gimme that, yeah, it's not in our vocabulary. Right. Yeah. Like round spheroid. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Like we just no know that this spheroid. is true. Well, I mean, I spoke to recently, had the honor to speak to the astronaut, um, Katie Coleman, who is awesome. And she's flat earther. You're saying she's not a flat earther, but she spent six months in space and you know, she seemed pretty credible and (laughs) told me what it looked like from space. And I believe her. She showed me pictures. They looked real. Although I have seen a conspiracy, like we didn't go to the moon kind of theory Mm -hmm. video. And I mean, they had some pretty convincing arguments I have to say, but I know obviously I don't, but that's the thing. They're not good at it. They're only superficially convincing. Yeah. Yeah. But like the shadow is different and this angle and that angle. But you see, that's a brings up a good point though. And that gets back to previous questions. Like how do we know, you know, and it's like, okay, this seems superficially convincing, but what are the people saying about it that don't believe it? Until you've answered that question, you shouldn't, again, that's like you've heard the prosecution, you have to hear the defense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when you hear their argument, they say, oh, okay, so there are reasons why the, the lines aren't parallel, because the, t- the topography isn't parallel. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, there's the, the flashback from the spacesuit is giving the, the shine. Okay, now, now oh, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's no uh, dampening atmosphere, that's why the flag waves, whatever. Um, then what do the hoaxers say about that? So then you keep going back and forth and that what yeah. they say is they don't have an answer they go on to the next thing they get yeah, what about this yeah they move well, the goal let post. me address that yeah. okay well, what about this other thing and they never really have a good answer for the the scientists to credibly debunk their nonsense right mm-hmm. so the, you you can if you do that process you can sort of get pretty quickly to um depending on how complex the question is you get to the point where you're like who has the better story, right? Who has the better answer to all of the back and forth? And sometimes it's very asymmetrical. There are legitimate scientific controversies where the two sides are both pretty credible and we just don't know which side is correct. But Mm -hmm. then there's like the moon hoax and the flat earth thing where it's like, yeah, we have like home run evidence that the earth is a sphere. And you also could ask the question, what would have to be true for the earth to be flat? Mm -hmm. And if you think about that for even a little bit, you know, then it breaks all of science. Yeah. You (laughs) it breaks all of science. I mean, you realize like there's no gravity if the earth is not a sphere. You can fly east or west and still, Uh, I almost want to research it. I know they must, they must answer. 
Uh, yeah, but there's epi cycles on epi cycles. Yeah, it's all special pleading. Logic, though, a lot of times, like with the like, you know, the the Earth is what like six thousand years old. I mean, there's just so much evidence against that. But the belief is so firmly held. Satan planted all. They're not reading it. It's like this very minor kind of like closed in view. And I mean, you know this. We know this. With going to school, like when you write a logical argument, you're writing a paper to try and defend a point. Mm -hmm. You have to poke holes in your own argument to then defend them. That's the right way to do it. You can't just say these are all the reasons that this thing is true. Yeah. You say these are the reasons that other people think this thing is false, and now I'm going to show you why. Right. About that. The case. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's not fun, but it's important. You have to be able to, to be do that. your own worst skeptic, yeah. right? That's that's the scientific approach. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do we have another question? Yeah. Mike Ansel from Facebook. So he's older. Uh, <laughs> right. Hey. Hold and, uh, on. I use Facebook. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. The next one's from MySpace. So. Uh, uh, yeah. This question is brought to you by My Radar, by the way. Between climate change, war, and the rise of anti-intellectual movement, I'm so worried about the future. Can you give me any reasons to be hopeful about what my children will face when they grow up? <sighs> what the positive? So, okay, well, I'll give you one positive. I know Steve has some positives, and I don't think this is me spinning it. I think that yeah. this is, you know, this is actually how I think. I think yeah. this is how I think. The reason all these things feel so horrible and stick out so much yeah. is because we've made so much progress, mm-hmm. right? So. Yeah. If we were not progressing at the pace that we have been, and if it were a constant struggle back and forth, then, you know, the administration that we're dealing with right now, the, you know, some sort of like regressive decisions that were made, the, the, um, the advance of climate change as it is right now. What were some of the other things in his question, her question? Anti-intellectual movement, war, climate change. The anti-intellectual movement, I think, is a perfect example, right? Like, war is different, right? Because war, we've kind of been perpetually, since I've been alive, I've perpetually been in war. Like, it's very 1984. My right. lifestyle has been. Yeah. But, but with, for example, the anti-intellectual movement, there have always been people who are anti-intellectual, but we have seen these ebbs and flows. And really we've progressed so much mm-hmm. that taking a step backward is a massive slap in the face. And that's why it feels more intense right now. You no know, scientist going to come tell me how to do my life. Right. <laughs> if you back up just a little bit and look at just the, even a slightly longer arc of human history, like if you just go back a century, we're so much better off now in all of those ways. There's yep. less war, less people, fewer people dying from war. You know, there, there's, Medicine, technology. Yeah, we're more intellectual, more not, we have more access to knowledge. You know, then there's a great book on Steven Pinker wrote yeah. like yeah. Enlightenment yeah. Now. Better Angels of Our Future. Better oh, yeah, Angels of Our yeah. Future. Yeah. And Talks there's also the that. Moral Arc by uh, Michael Shermer. Shermer. Yeah. Basically, you know, that things are getting better. Yeah. Um, Global warming is not, but no, that's the, different. But the thing, I, my positive spin there is, well, first of all, you should be worried about global warming. It's a real serious issue that we face. Uh, but the, the thing that we actually have the technology to fix that. I mean, that's like, the, really? yeah, yeah. We just don't have the political will. We just don't have, we, we, have one, we, we don't need any technological or scientific. Technology to fix global warming. There, there is renewable energy, nuclear, nuclear energy. energy. Yeah. We could, if we wanted to, we could very quickly move our energy infrastructure to minimal carbon. Wouldn't that just slow it down? Yes, but it would slow it down enough that we could avoid most of the worst outcomes of it. just came out with a report that basically said that, what was it, like by 2030, like if we don't... I think it's 2040. Is it 2040? Hit the 1.5C and that's then... And then there's like, no, it's like the... 1.5 degrees Celsius above in pre-industrial temperatures, uh, average temperatures. And if we hit that point, that's when bad stuff starts to happen. It's like a site for a chain reaction. Yeah, I mean, that's where the debate really, the, the scientists are debating about what's the point of no return and how quickly and, and what are the really bad things that are going to happen? There's no there, there's no debate about is the worth warming and is it being caused by human activity? It's just how quickly and how bad is it going to get? Mm-hmm. But 
we could fix it if we really all agreed that we wanted to do it. We could absolutely do it. We don't need anything that we don't currently all have. Meaning not just United States, but yes, yeah, like, so like well, China and India, and they have things. to totally be on board. We've seen things where China has made you know swift unilateral decisions, yeah. and then it the, seems the like out- they've shifted towards towards They're, the environment. And the outcome is incredible. That's yeah. the thing. We just don't have the political will. Like Here's people are willing to do it. This is my positive spin on it. Yeah. So basically, and this is from a neural perspective, but as we start developing these neural implants that we can, you know. Mm-hmm insert and sort of ultimately we're using them to treat psychiatric and neurological illness now, but ultimately we can manipulate people's thoughts and mm-hmm. behavior. <laughs> so my idea is that <laughs> we use the technology to <laughs> create the political will that we need to, I mean, the technology is there. It's just changing how people think. This is such a black mirror episode. <laughs> <laughs> so we just do a minor shift in people's thought processes and then we can and who's the arbiter of how we shift those thoughts? Clone our own hmm. politicians. I'm not going to say I'd have my finger on the button, but <laughs> yeah. unclone the politician. We're going to make it so they can <laughs> never be cloned. Right, 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 right. Slightly right. manipulate the politicians in a good way. It's for science. It is the great thing about China is when they want to make a change, it just changes. Yeah, I mean, that's the nice thing about a dictator. It. Yeah, right? <laughs> they don't have to go through a system. I was in Suzhou and they were like, we want a business center and they don't have to go through any bureaucracy. They're like, we're making a business downtown now. If the right know. people want it. America's yeah. moving in that direction. So you never know. I'll take the other stuff if it gets to, you know, keep me with a vote. But it is tough. You know, we have these, we have solutions to a lot of political problems that right now too. Mm. It's just people aren't willing, the people who make the decisions, they're not in their best interest and that becomes problematic when they're the best interest of the greater whole, but yeah. the individuals with the reins find right. that they're not in their immediate best interest for, you know, fundraising. Say money, we, lobbyists. We literally had this debate is, is this one step back going to cause more permanent harm or is it going to cause a resurgence of forward movement that's going to be in the end a net positive? Yeah, we were on the fence about it, right? Yeah, I, my well, I think it's Charlotte both. Too. I think both are true. There's a lot of bad stuff happening, but I think that this is like, yeah, people are waking up saying, oh, this whole democracy thing really matters, you know, yeah. and I better get up my ass oh, yeah. and vote, you know. I had the this terms theory that up, Trump, guys. as opposed to Clinton, was the best way to a real progressive leader. Because Maybe you're only four years. We'll know in ten. We'll, we'll know in ten or twenty years what the shakeout was. But yeah. hopefully it'll be not possible. Let's see what happens it's in a possible. Month. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That'll be the first, the first indicator. But yeah. we'll see. People actually come out and like, oh, I gotta like take part in this. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah, it's like the pendulum swinging yeah. back mm-hmm. and forth. And you know, America has survived a lot of things in the history. So hopefully we'll continue. Well, we will definitely survive. We'll but survive. it's just a matter of what the long term fallout's going to be. Yeah. yeah. So with that, again, we'll wrap up this segment of the show. Um, And again, we'll be back with your cosmic queries. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your host, Heather Berlin, and co-hosting today is comedian Ari Shafir. And joining us as our expert guests, and I'm glad to say friends, Cara Santamaria and Stephen Novella. And we took your questions about skepticism and what that movement's all about. And Ari, do you have some more questions to throw at us? Yeah, I sure do. There's a bunch, actually. What prevents... Okay, Arthur Medina from Facebook. What prevents critical and skeptical thinking the most on people? The brain energy expenditure or the social and religious upbringing? Ooh. Yes. Yes, all, yeah, all of the I mean, above. Cool. I, I don't know how to compare them, but the, the energy expenditure is actually a very sophisticated question because mm-hmm. that's true. People don't realize that our brains are evolved and... and 
are wired to expend the least amount of energy possible to get the job done. Do they that have, person's read Kahneman. Yeah, the, yeah. Read, absolutely. That's the thinking fast, thinking mm-hmm. slow kind of question. Better take credit for someone else's work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but that means is that the shortcuts are okay. They keep us alive. They kind of work most of the time and they, they keep us from wasting a lot of energy. But it also means that we're only sort of approximating the best answer. And that was probably enough, you know, on the Serengeti. But now we're living in a technological civilization that's pretty complicated and we have a lot, lot think about how many more decisions we make about our lives mm-hmm. than say a medieval peasant made about their lives yeah. and it's complicated it's really complicated and these shortcuts are, they don't really quite cut it yeah, what's the example you used last night in your talk about like 1999 like that was such a good example of exactly this like does that really work when what? people oh yeah yeah 1999 instead of $20 why do they charge 1999 for something because it actually works because we have yeah. this left number bias where we actually do look at the leftmost number and estimate the value quickly in our head because it's cheap and easy and it mm-hmm. uses little energy, but it could be exploited because you could make it, you know, a number which is unlikely statistically, but they do it deliberately to make you to make it seem smaller than it really is. Mm-hmm. But that's that's like just one tiny example of the hundreds of ways in which we do these shortcuts, and then um, they could be taken advantage of deliberately, or they just lead us lead us astray, you know, subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that definitely is a huge, that's like the sort of always happening in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, the big re- ideological, tribal, religious thing is more sort of in your face, and that obviously has a huge impact as well, but it's a little bit more upfront. And so it may, yeah. you know, get. But that's get really hard to break. I mean, we were just it talking is. about this in the car the other day, like how much of how we are now has to do with how we were raised. And like, if you have parents who are, ultra indoctrinated, ultra, um, let's say fundamentalist or, you know, just racist or xenophobic or whatever the case may be sexist. It's, you have to work hard to not be that way. Well, I think I have like on a positive note, I think that as like, you know, we have the internet and social media, like people have more access to Mm -hmm. other points of view rather than like, I don't know, when I was growing up and there was no internet and I'm one of those ancient Facebook people, but um, (laughs) pre-Facebook or pre-iPhone, whatever. So, but like then you really, that was your bubble. That was your world, like your parents and your community. And now you really, people do have access to so much more. So the hope is that perhaps that can break that cycle. The thing is they just stay in their own bubble. There are echo chambers. They are. That is true. Just virtually create their echo and also chambers. we don't we don't create our we we do create our own echo chambers. But we have to be honest that there are algorithms in place to promote echo chambers as oh, well. Yeah. Like a lot of these places, like Facebook, they're going to keep feeding you the news that you yeah. want to read. And that's the problem also with the with the unconscious biases. So like these quick shortcuts that we take. I mean, it takes more energy to break that Get or think about. It. But what I always say, like for these unconscious biases, is that if we can change the input to the brain, just change the input. Like not even working on the conscious part which just the work on people's unconscious mm-hmm. like if it's like gender biases like show more female you know scientists mm. and works it does yeah. and so yeah. I think you got to get brain. in the back door sort of in, in, in sort of changing people's behavior because they might not take the initiative to just do it themselves. yeah that's that's Sometimes referred to as the nanny state approach, you know. Oh, okay. That, <laughs> great. That's, All right. That's just to give you the other side, which and, and the evidence on that is kind of somewhat mixed, actually. So, oh yeah, uh, it depends on what question you're what, looking at. What is a nanny state? The so nanny state is when the government or some entity is is Controls. consciously controlling things in order to have a positive effect on. To manipulate people's unconscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, for example, you have restaurants 
that will supersize you for cheap. That's like sending you a signal to eat more calories and to overeat and to get fat, right? And they say, well, maybe we should, you know, you, the, the Big Mac should come yeah. with apple slices and you have to ask for the French fries. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, it, that's, you know, using um, that kind of changing the inputs in order to change the outcome. Mm -hmm. And that can work in some contexts. It doesn't work in every context, though. You have to be very careful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's contextual, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. we know that representation on screen has an outcome. Yeah. We see a change due to that. So that's a good example of that. Mm -hmm. But there are other examples when it may not work. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens in Los Angeles because we, LA. The, the board stuff? The what? The, the boards of publicly traded companies. What are you talking about? No, I'm actually talking about plastic. <laughs> but, you know, LA is a little behind San Francisco, but we're still really ahead of the curve. And um, uh, West Hollywood even more so. So we banned plastic bags long and long ago in LA. Um, San uh, West Hollywood planned uh, uh, banned styrofoam takeout containers. But now we've just moved to not ban plastic straws, but to make it against the law for a restaurant to just automatically give you, you one. So you have to wait it. until somebody asks for it. And I feel like that I think those kind of things will have a massive outcome. I have no problem with manipulating sure. people. I mean, obviously, no, that's the thing. Marketers see. do it all the time, and they do it just to make money. The guy who yeah, I also do it in a good way. Let's just counteract the negative yeah. marketers and let's do yeah. our like. Yeah, some just money. The guy who told McDonald's, some of McDonald's employees was like, "Don't give out ketchup packets until they ask," and it saves save them like five hundred grand a year. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's like, yeah. oh, no way. Right. Napkins. Right. Yeah. So we could do it to save the environment. Yeah. Exactly. And then a little bit of cash. Right. Yeah. I think also people are. Now, like kids are eating healthier mm -hmm. because they're doing their own research. Like before, your mom was like, Eat your green beans, it's good for you. You're like, fuck you, mom. You don't know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Old generation. But now it's like, I'll look at the internet and it's like, Yeah, green beans are good for you, mom. <laughs> yeah. Although, that. unfortunately, it, most of the nutrition advice you'll get online is wrong. Right. It's really? mostly fads and marketing bullshit books. and self help yeah. crap. You know, like, uh, you can also so many people like, I want to eat healthy and be healthy. So I'm going to eat all organic and no GMO and no gluten. That's all bullshit. <laughs> It's like it's actually a lot easier than you think if you're getting the accurate information. But fewer it, calories. Yeah. Well, right. it would depending on what your goal is. I yeah. mean, well, I tricked my kids into eating greens by being like, "Well, if you eat your ice cream, you'll get to have green beans." Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? You gotta just flip it on its head, and they're like, "Oh my god, can I please have more green beans?" <laughs> yeah, right. They do that with stuff where they go like manipulate. Yeah. Mother. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> the packaging is like they go like you know no fat or low fat, and you're like well, it's Twizzlers. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, that's not good for <laughs> Pure you. Pure sugar. <laughs> There's no fat yeah, in it. No fat. It's yeah. 900 grams of sugar. Like, wait a minute. All right, you want to take another question? Or sugar-free lard, yep. Yeah, exactly. Signon um, from Instagram says, uh, can one be skeptical to the point of debilitation? Sure. I mean, so we yeah. excessive skepticism is actually denialism, which is not really uh, skepticism. Which is what the climate, quote unquote, yeah. skeptics yeah, they're not, are. They're denialists. They're not really skeptics. They're just they're denying things as a sort of a reflex, or because that's that's really what they want. They're, that's their dedicated ideology, and then they're using sort climate of mis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're mis. You know, climate change skeptics. They call themselves skeptics, but really they're deniers because they're just using the tools and the language of skepticism for a predetermined outcome, yeah, not to find the skeptic. truth, not to find the best answer, but to support the answer they want, yeah. which is the denial of some science that's generally accepted. Um, so that's excessive skepticism. The other thing is, is a analysis paralysis kind of thing where, yeah, you know, I don't bother doing a deep research dive 
on tiny questions that are of no significance because then you could spend your whole day, you got to choose your battles, right? You got to figure out where am I going to expend my resources? If a question's important to me, I could spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's really real or not. If it isn't important to me at all, I may spend zero time because I don't care. You know that's a trolling technique. Have you guys heard of sea lioning? No, oh. what is this is like a thing which I discovered the other day because somebody was sea lioning me. Oh, trolls, what is it? Yeah, and then somebody else was like, "You're getting sea lioned," and I had to Google. It was based on some cartoon, and I can't even remember the full context of the cartoon. But some sea lion, like some guys, like sea lions suck, and then a sea lion comes up and he's like, "Explain all the reasons why sea lion." Back up your arguments, and that's like this trolling technique yeah. where you'll make a claim, and then somebody will come in really kind of um, respectfully. And say, you know, respectfully, I disagree. And they start to engage in an intellectual way, but they keep asking for more evidence. Yeah. Over, and you give them satisfactory evidence, and then they'll just go deeper and go yeah. deeper and go deeper. Yeah. How do we know that's true? And it's like, wow. the, the what's that guy's burden onto you? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and you find yourself, st- especially if you're the kind of person who's really into these kinds of art, you mm. get stuck in it before you realize it's happening to you. Yeah. Like, Damn it. I got sea lion. That reminds me of a thing we had for like chud people. They're awful people. We call it dragon flying at the comedy store where if somebody awful was talking to you, You'd bring your friend over, like Steve. Hey, come here, talk to me. And you're like, ah, excuse me for a second. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. leave you. And with then you stick. Yeah. So mean. <laughs> so in Oklahoma, the dragonflies, you would just swim up to somebody and then dive and then swim away. <laughs> the it's like that curb else. episode where everybody kept getting with the same assistant. They kept passing oh, this right. awful assistant <laughs> on to everybody else. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nietzsche said that about about um, in terms of that too, where it's like um, he said the problem with philosophy of his time was they had a theory going into it and they try to prove that theory which is the antithesis you should be trying to disprove your theory we we keep the ones that survive repeated attempts at disproving them is is skepticism is that also the kind of a religion in its own sense or like a common question disagree with it but yeah it's 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 if you know only if you consider it a religion if it's the religion of no religion right or if it's the belief of non-belief you know what Mm -hmm. i mean it's It's a religion in as much as science is it's an anti-ideological ideology you know what can we say it's like yeah we we, we're all about there are not having any beliefs we're agnostic right we don't like you start with a point of no belief and it's just what is the empirical evidence what's the logic what can we know and it's open some kind of revision and it's it's always tentative absolutely even like if and that's a really kind of purist sort of maybe idealistic way to look at it. i don't think that's how most people go and i i know nothing and i'm open-minded and and i just want and so i think even if you're starting with the idea of I'm going to go with what the authorities tell me and then I'm going to things that don't sit right with me and things that don't seem to make sense or seem to conflict with what other authorities are telling me. Then I'm going to um, start reading about those more. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to assume that the way the world is working works. And then as things seem broken and as, as they, you know, aren't making sense to me, I'll dig more into that. It becomes evident to you after a while where you're like, wait, there's something off here. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like, you get that feeling. And you hear it enough times like, actually, let me look into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this other guy who I also trust said the opposite. So yeah. how is that? And then you got to square those yeah. circles. Those are like we call skeptical red flags. They yeah. pop up like, yeah, there's something that doesn't feel right here. Why am I hearing conflicting things? Why is that logic not really make any sense? So there's something wrong here. So I'm not going to trust it until I do a, you know, a deeper exploration. Yeah. And you develop that further and further the yeah, more skeptical. It's a skill. It's a skill like anything. Your baloney detector. Yeah, yeah we call that your baloney yeah. detector. Yeah. I mean, I think the greatest <laughs> thing is that it's change it's it's open to revision like um like bill and i wrote a chapter in his book like anti-gmo and then i took him to this debate and like the head of monsanto was there yeah. and yeah. you know it's and then and he actually about, yeah. they ended up yeah hooking up he went there hooking visited, up. well not hooking up yeah. 
Uh, I, actually, I don't know what happened. That night, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> he went and visited the lab. And I'm not saying everything Monsanto does is great. You know, there are things that are, you know, pesticides, whatever. But like in terms of the GMOs and he like shifted his perspective. He's like, look, I looked at the evidence. I looked at what's going on here and, and changed. So I like that about people kind of in the skeptic movement. Well, and I wish we could see that more. The sad thing is that politically it has gotten to a place where like it doesn't either it doesn't serve our politicians or the narrative is such that they're just not allowed to do that anymore um, to change their minds. Yeah. Like people yeah. call them flip floppers and people yeah. say that they're wishy washy mm. instead of like, Oh, they learn from the evidence and now, th- now they have a new perspective. You're incentivizing them to right. keep the wrong opinion. Yeah, horrible. Exactly. So it's like culturally we do, I think skeptics do a good job of this, but, and scientists, but we have to do a better job through SciComm and through other outreach methods to, to say that that's what we want to see in our okay to change leaders. your mind. Yeah. Change yeah. your mind is a, is a, is a it's growth. It's like a positive thing. Yes. It's like, like yes. a good, good thing. thing to change your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like your flip flopper, it's yeah. like you're actually. Take pride in our ability to change our mind. Yes. So the way to look at it is like, so we say skepticism is not a set of beliefs, it's a set of methods. Yeah. It's the process that matters. To it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The belief is that's the end result, and that change as the facts change, as logic arguments Which is change, why skeptics don't always agree. Right. Yeah, and that's okay. That's yeah. a good thing. In the last few minutes, can I just ask you to like the book? What is like the you know? Is it talking all the about book Skeptics Guide to the Universe? Yes, that it's book. Available I just, to sale right now. Yeah, I just was wondering if you can give me a little or us give the audience a little a quickie overview. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's three pillars in the book. Mm-hmm. One is knowledge of science and how to tell science from pseudoscience. Another one is neuropsychological humility, which is basically understanding how your brain works, how oh, it I doesn't like work, how it gets fooled, and then the third one is critical thinking. Like, what tools can you have to understand how to sort through all of this? And then we give some personal adventures where we model how that works. We talk about how to, to, to you know, have these conversations with other people, how to read the, the, the media, you know, how to read news articles. So we kind of just walk you through, you know, the whole process. So that's it for this episode of Star Talk All Stars. Big thanks to my co-host Ari Shafir, and thank you to Cara Santa Maria and Stephen Novella for dropping in. Thanks for thank having you. us. Um, I've been your host Heather Berlin. Until next time, stay curious. 